0: If you don't mix in folks that are totally thinking about the problem in a different way, you won't get to the right answer or the best answer, I should say. You may get to the right answer, but you may not get to the best or most innovative answer in a particular circumstance. I think that's really important.
1: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hi. Hope you're doing well, and we appreciate you tuning in to join us. I'm Alex Merwin, Head of Growth Healthcare and Life Science Startups at AWS. Today, we welcome Apixio, an AI-powered analytics and intelligence company, to the show. We explore how they use AI to surface actionable insights that improve administrative, clinical, and financial outcomes for payers and providers in the U.S. Also, we unpack the opportunities and risks of increasing use of AI in health innovation.
2: Let's go. Hello, my name is Eric Zimmerman. I'm on the Healthcare and Life Science team here at AWS, and I have the pleasure of being joined with Sachin Patel, CEO of Apixio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. Will you tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Apixio? Sure. So I grew up in
0: Texas in a small town originally and then family moved to uh, Houston later on and then went to University of Texas at Austin, which I believe is where you're based. So that's a good thing. And we enjoyed several years there and then ended up going into engineering. So my undergrad was a double E degree and I realized I was like reasonable or serviceable, but some might even say mediocre as an engineer. So decided to go back to grad school and do a little bit of a reset and then went into investment banking for a few years ultimately into operating roles with a couple of healthcare organizations, including Apitio, which has been nice because it's the convergence of healthcare and technology. So it's brings me back to the beginning of that journey, but it's been a lot of fun and learned a
2: lot about healthcare along the way. I love that it was all progressive, but not necessarily straightforward, right? To be able to switch yeah. from an engineer to an operator or, you know, especially on the finance side, it's impressive. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a little hook in honor of your background yeah. and be ba- being based in Austin myself love of Texas football. So yeah, tell me about Apixio. What do y'all do? What are you known for? Yeah, absolutely. So
0: Apixio is an artificial intelligence company, which I know we'll get into um, given it's very much in AI summer mode right now. But we support health plans and provider groups in their delivery of value-based care. And where we really focus is that intersection point between payers and providers. At a high level, what our platform is able to do in the simplest of terms is take unstructured information. And since this is a healthcare podcast, certainly your audience is well aware. uh, A lot of the healthcare data, 60 to 70% of data that's out there in the healthcare world is unstructured. And that means it's flat PDF files or similar. And what our platform is able to do is take that information, bring it back to life, if you will, and make it searchable, indexable, et cetera, and use that information then to support a variety of workflows. And we do pair that unstructured information with structured information to have a better sense of what's happening with the patient. And then our customers, as I mentioned, are payers and providers. And we can get into the different workflows that we support them on. But at a high level, that's what we do. And that's where we've really been focused um, since 2015. The company was founded a few years before that. But as is the case with startups early on, you're spending those first few years determining what product market fit is. We have the kernel loads; we wanted to start with something. And really the credit on all this goes to my predecessors, you know, who were with the company at that time. But we started with the idea of we want to work with this data. We know a lot of it is all over the place, which continues to be an issue today in healthcare as well, and do something with it. And then in 2015, we were able to find that product market fit and really begin working on where we are today.
2: I cannot tell you how many times we've heard, you know, this data is all over the place. Payers, providers, patients, and even in the life sciences industry and beyond. I'd be curious, you know, just your quick thoughts on why unstructured data is so tough, but important. I know you said it was a huge percentage of all healthcare data, but I thought EHRs or EMRs were supposed to solve at least a good amount yeah. of this. Yeah. And I think a lot
0: of the information is there, right? So for sure, I think some of those headlines, including the one I use at the aggregate bubble, but you have to think about a couple of different dimensions. I would say where you're getting that information. So certainly from the payer side, often the information is unstructured, but it's indexed well, it's searchable. They know what populations they're focused on, et cetera, within certain geography. So you have access to it and, you know, you're able to get to it. Um, but what also makes it challenging to use some of that data is the fact that it is stored in these, you know, let's call it legacy type of systems or legacy formats that then don't make it as modern or as accessible as we would all like today. On the EMR side, certainly you have the ability to use some of the information that's in there as long as you understand how it's organized within that EMR. Uh, and then increasingly with all of the interoperability activity that's going on, it does make it so that the pipes are laid where you can more effectively get to it. But there's certainly a long road to go as you're alluding to. And so a lot of different businesses are out there looking at how do I get really focused on where I'm going to use these different access points and the data support a particular workflow, become very good at that, and then slowly add the bits of information that I need to be successful over the long run. I think there was, there's always this, there's a little interesting graphic that's online in various different formats, the healthcare roller coaster where you start in a startup setting, right? And you go all the way to the top and say, we're just going to build a new AMR to solve everything. And then you realize that the data is coming in from a variety of different sources. You still have many rural sites of care that have so many different ways in which they're recording that information, often on paper still. And you just have to be sensitive to that and then realize what you need to support that particular
2: activity. One of the reasons I was excited about this podcast today was I hear a lot of theory about how healthcare data will change the world and how it's so valuable and how it's all over the place. There's fewer examples of companies that actually are working with payers and or providers to derive value for shareholders and patients ultimately and have real case studies on doing this. Because as you alluded to, this is hard, right? It is a known issue and it is challenging. So I guess I'd be curious to dig into the health plan or the payer side first. Is there an example or case study that highlights the value of the relationship that you have with them and some of the outcomes or data that y'all generated? Yeah, absolutely. So it's
0: interesting the opening that you use there when you think about working in healthcare. And uh, there's been this period of time over the last two to three years, especially I would say, where understandably, right? You think healthcare, you think patient as you should every day whether you're certainly providers are doing that and if you're a health planner you're thinking of it as a member but you're thinking patient first and what's the best benefit designed to have that patient stay healthy etc so it is a natural place for the mind to go but as you develop a business your instinct to go there may not actually be where the manifestation of the technology is best used and so you think of physicians and the art of medicine and making sure they can be successful there everyone wants to be the floating star trek device next to the physician that's giving the exact instructions of what to do but That's not really the point, I think, in terms of how you want to be successful and deliver value to payers and providers. So focusing on the payer side to the example that you're asking about, we started initially with one of our customers, really supporting them on one activity within the risk adjustment realm. And what we've been able to do over the course of time, and it does take time, right? That's an important dimension, especially in healthcare. We were able to first understand what is the enterprise data foundation that they need and an understanding of their data model. And then where can we best apply AI-driven support for those activities that they're doing? So we start with the core offering where we knew we could support them and then slowly build over time. And so one of the most interesting things that's come out of that relationship is we now serve effectively as their central repository for all of their um, charts. And this allows us to bring in any of the information that's coming across in patient charts. And this is a large health plan that's in multiple different states that has obviously dozens and hundreds of providers in each of the markets and sub-markets that they serve, those patients in, in, in unison with the provider. And so all of those bits of information, coming in, all different formats, et cetera, et cetera, as your audience knows well. But by being able to bring it into a central location within our chart space solution, as we call it, we're able to then say, okay, run all of our algorithms on top of that information, centralize it, and be able to search not only on the metadata that's a, attached to the document, but also all of the information that was now brought back to light from that previously unstructured document and then paired with the structured information such as claims, etc. And it becomes a pretty powerful place from which to have this health profile of the patient. And then that health profile allows other folks that maybe weren't using that original use case workflow to say, hey, that's pretty neat. How does that work? And I can now think of an idea of how I might apply it in another workflow. That may not necessarily be in the support of that core activity or risk adjustment, rather supporting quality activities or care management, and perhaps ultimately over time, not suggesting we're there today, uh, care delivery activities that this health plan would like to coordinate with a provider in a particular market to be successful in a value-based care operating model. So it's that evolution and being able to almost showcase a little bit of what the technology can do and let the customer tell you, This is where I'd like to go with it. And it's going to be different. And it has been for the
2: next couple of customers for whom we've rolled that out. this is perfect. You know, an example of that flywheel in Amazon speak, right? If you really listen to customers and get that feedback and have that way expand, it's positive reinforcement and growth. I'd be curious if you could elaborate on one of the points you made, which was the ROI for the payers. Like it's great to have a lot of data. It's great to be able to analyze it. But at the end of the day, they are for-profit institutions in most cases, especially the private payers. And so how do you make it worth their time or how did you get their attention? Because there's a lot of people promising them savings, but yeah, not as many actually delivering those savings. Yeah.
0: So just building on the last part of where I, I wrapped up, as we learned from a couple of those other adjacent pieces of the organization that wanted to get access to this central repository. We actually worked with them from the beginning to say, what are the areas where you want to step function into this one piece at a time and utilize the solution? What do we actually think we're saving you? And maybe it's um, something as simple as literally like working through what does a workday look like? How many times do you make a request for a certain piece of information? How many minutes is that to you per day? How many people, blah, blah, blah. And you build out over the course of a year what that savings is, And that's a tangible ROI saving. And that may seem a little bit too basic for where we are in the public conversation on AI, but I think it's a great place to start, right? Is supporting those basic efficiency measures. And then from there, we were able to have a further discussion around where we would support on more, call it external facing ROI type of opportunities. And so in that case, from the payer standpoint, it's okay. I now have three different departments that actually work with our value-based care program coordinator, if you will, for a certain region or a certain market. These providers in particular, we'd like to focus activities X, Y, and Z. What can you do to help us support that? And then that becomes, okay, I now know this provider can be successful serving this panel of patients over a certain period of time. We know where to price the contract, which is important. You're going to price the contract right to your point. And we know that they'll be able to provide quality care to those patients because we didn't price it aggressively from our in that case payers lens and vice versa that we feel comfortable to the providers getting the right level of reimbursement for what they're doing ultimately and so i think it takes time to get there and then that's a very tangible roi equation because you're able to understand the chronic conditions of that patient over time continue to monitor them and be successful and adjust accordingly along the way so that then as a payer You don't have to worry. Do I have enough providers in this market to take care of all the patients
2: for whom I'm providing the benefits back? How do you think about structuring a contract with a payer, especially as we shift towards value based care? Because I think at the end of the day, we've had a bunch of startups and founders that listen to us, obviously. One of the biggest learnings that we can share is okay, you get paid for what you built, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's how you can keep the company going unless you just raise money in perpetuity. So I'd be curious how you think about you and an of think about that.
0: Yeah. And our thought process is a little bit different on this. Just given when we began with that 2015 kind of time frame of product market fit versus perhaps the more more recent run-up in how businesses have been starting. That being said, it does matter, I think, as to what your incentives are in those types of models and how you ultimately price and go to payers. So we've run into competitive situations, just speaking kind of at a high level where the pricing doesn't really make sense for us, having been in at least the core operations that we're in for a long period of time now. And you say, okay, that maybe there's something there and you go, out of no disrespect, maybe there's something there that someone's figured out, but often these workflows are pretty well mapped out, especially when you're talking about sophisticated payers or payers who have technology arms that actually themselves are competing with you, there's a reason that's the market price, right? It's like there's a certain set of business formula that's already been solved for that's going to make you viable over the long run. So I think it, it's just been an interesting market the last two years, really hard to exactly determine what's going on. Um, but if you look at the incentives, then certainly there was a reason to price low to get customer attribution and then have a longer term view of how you turn that into a long-term profitable contract or whatnot. So- that backdrop in place, I would say our view has always been price where we know we can be successful and be the long-term partner for the payer and provider. Ultimately, if you take the mirror of payers and providers generally always wanting to be aligned on a contract, whether value-based or any other contract that is, is on the way to fully capitated or whatnot, the goal is always both parties need one another. And so let's make both of ourselves successful. And if you take that as a mirror and say, okay, if I'm a partner to a health plan, I should think about it that way too, because if I price it where I can't service it two years from now, then I'm probably not going to be there two years from now, either due to my own business not running over the long run, um, because I'm just not getting enough revenue, but plainly for the activities that I need to support, and that leads to quality issues, et cetera, or because they ultimately don't value my activity enough. And then you run into a different issue. So I, I think that you have to be okay sticking to what the price needs to be to be successful and a partner to that payer over the long run. And your business will get better for it, right? Because you'll have these opportunities to learn where else you can support them in different areas. And then just recognizing, obviously, that I'm sure it's been mentioned on this podcast two dozen times, no, no doubt, but the sales cycles are long, right? So you just have to be patient, work through each page payer as they determine what's important for them in that particular dialogue. And then the final thing I'd add, just as an interesting evolution in the market is as value based care continues to be more important and a bigger part of the mix of payments are made or how payers and providers coordinate, there is a need, I think, to price your model so that it flexes accordingly. So it, it is of interest to businesses to reflect some of that pricing in their model, but it depends if you can do that or not based on the workflows you're supporting on the payer side because of certain regulatory considerations or whatnot. So you just have to kind of understand certain models will work in certain settings
2: and certain will map perfectly to that value-based orientation. Very well reasoned. So I'd love to hear, you touched on it briefly in the payer answer, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about a case study or use case or success story with a provider.
0: Yeah. So on on the provider side, it's been really interesting to see the evolution in our customers over the last few years. And we've been talking a lot. Uh, it is very much the topic of the last few years around value-based care. But it is essentially that, right? Providers moving into that model and wanting to make sure that they can be successful. And there's a variety of different businesses that support them in that or partnership opportunities with MSO, type organizations, et cetera, that can help with scaled provider groups. So leaving all of that aside, as an example of where we've been able to be helpful to the provider customer, it's when they have a pretty dense set of physicians in a certain market, and they've got primary care as well as specialists associated with that provider network, and they're looking to understand how do we get the primary care physician, who is the quarterback of the whole experience for the patient for the most part, in a value-based construct to then partner well with the specialists in the network, because oftentimes that's one of the top two or three reasons why your cost quality equation or something else goes out of whack in a value-based contract is because you want to make sure that the specialist that's seeing them, who's responsible for the largest part of the spend often, is someone that's attuned to that primary care physician's practice guidelines, et cetera. And so where we've been able to help is saying, okay, give us that full set of information let us get as much of that as we can, the various charts that they have, the various claims data, whatever it may be, let us take it in, understand your data model, get that set up correctly, and then run our algorithms on top of that and find comparable populations that we may have based on the findings uh, in other markets. And that this is all sort of implicitly being got right in the way that the, the AI works. I'm saying kind of articulating yeah, yeah. it as if it's sequential, but it's all implicit. And so it picks up on the fact that that this population looks like this population over here. And can we make certain linkages in the data that could be supportive to helping them be successful on that value-based contract? So I give you a tangible example. Um, and this is very, very kind of a simple example, but it's one that resonates with our provider customers, because these are the sort of activities that they're trying to coordinate from what's it, the central command that oversees the entire provider network. And so it would be, okay, I understand all of the chronic conditions that this patient has. I've got, and I'll use the classic kind of diabetes example. We have a X percent of the population, 30 percent that has diabetes, and we have to make sure that we're doing eye exams for that population. So the eye exam actually could have been done by an ophthalmologist within the network. And even just being able to link that or show them exactly that that activity's been done and completed um, is not a trivial task. And it takes some time to be able to put that together. And so you say, okay, I now know that I've completed eye exam for X percent of the population. I've got Y left that I need to go after. It allows that central command to be more targeted about which patients they outreach to. They may do a program to bring them into the clinic to see the physician to get the eye exam done and complete some other activities, or they may send someone into their home to do a similar set of activities. So those are the sort of things where we have to stay really in sync with that provider group and make sure we're getting them the information at the right points to be able to conduct those programs or care delivery programs that they have. While keeping in mind that we're very much supporting that activity, we're not trying to tell them exactly what to do in that regard, right? That's up to them to determine how to roll out those programs, which divisions to engage, et cetera. But
2: providing that coordination support is really helpful. I guess carrying that example forward, you're showing ROI in multiple areas. Because say you're looking for a diabetic retinopathy in these diabetic patient populations and you're doing your annual screenings. Ideally you can identify issues earlier. So they're less severe, you can intervene better. And, you know, that preventative, more proactive care hopefully can identify other future complications or issues as well. Do you see providers shifting towards that, that idea of being a little bit, I'm going to say more proactive, I don't mean to be reductionary, but instead of just treating all the sick people that come in, do you see them wanting to say, we need to screen more people, we need to be more regular, we need to be thoughtful about this outreach? And that can help from a population health standpoint. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. So
0: there's a ton of activity and has been for several years now with primary care in particular and really successful examples of scale value-based care organizations supporting those activities. And so the next natural evolution is into that specialist realm. So from a proactivity standpoint to your comment, an interesting example from one of our other provider customers is that they're, they have a even higher than CMS data would suggest, set of population that has chronic heart conditions, and they want to get in front of that. And part of that is affiliating with cardiology groups in that region and making sure that the information is getting over to them. But most of the time, it's been interesting learning for us. A lot of these cardiology groups do already have ways in which they're monitoring patients through watches and other devices that are implanted alongside stents and pacemakers and things like that, which allow them to monitor this information. It comes back to central command. Primary care physician also gets that information that's really helpful and it allows them to be that much more proactive if the outreach point needs to be from the PCP versus the cardiologist. Often it would be the latter, but you get my point from an example standpoint. So we do see that. And those are some of the activities that they've described to us in that much more coordinated care delivery sense.
2: Do you think that the shift towards outcome based reimbursement models or value based care is going to accelerate in the near future or do you think it's going to continue to be a slog or how do you think that's going to influence Affixio's journey too?
0: Yeah, we think it will certainly accelerate. So there's enough momentum around the table. Yes, we talked about it today. There's been some businesses that maybe are still figuring out exactly how to be successful over the long run, but that's okay. Right. The influx of activity over the last three to four years has moved the ball forward. It's what's being talked about. It's what's being engaged on. It's what's being executed on regularly. I think every day by a variety of different businesses. So, um, there will be folks that have been in healthcare that will say in the 90s, there was a different jump for it and they still value-based here. And that's probably true, right? But it's this mm-hmm. evolution that happens in different spurts. And I think we're on a pretty extended spurt here that should continue to play through over the next several years here. So we're excited about that. And we think it's the right answer for what we all are looking to serve within the long-term sustainability of the U.S. healthcare system. Okay. Thank
2: you. Um I'd be curious... Do you define a Pixio as a healthcare company, a tech company, a health tech company, an AI company, a health AI company? I'm always interested to see how people prioritize, you know, even down to the most basic distillation of how they think their core is and how it does that influence kind of your staffing? As you alluded to, you need interdisciplinary skill sets and backgrounds to really operate successfully in the tech and the healthcare world. So be curious how you think about that.
0: Yeah, the... But- Short answer to me, Chris, is we think of ourselves as a healthcare technology company, but healthcare is the first word in that, and that's really important. We certainly use AI, and it's an important part of our central thesis, but I think we view ourselves totally fine to say this. Over the last five, six years, it's been a process for us to learn that it's okay to say you're a healthcare company first. And so start there, understand who you're serving and then move forward. But it's an interesting thing because there's periods of time when from a talent recruitment standpoint or from a how do you want to hit the market standpoint, you want to keep pushing forward on on one particular word or one particular theme, but you have to be true to who you serve first and that's the healthcare market. And so that's how we think about it. It's taken us time to get there. And then as it manifests, if you will, in how we hire in the mix of our team, we do look for that mix of talent. Um, you don't have to know healthcare, you have to be keen on learning and taking the time and having the patience to learn healthcare. Um, And if you bring a certain technical acumen and whatnot, I think that's great. And we need that, right? Because that's how you're going to move the ball forward. If you don't mix in folks that are totally thinking about the problem in a different way, you won't get to the right answer or the best answer, I should say. You may get to the right answer, but you you may not get to the best or most innovative answer in a particular circumstance. I think that's really important. But at the same time, balancing it with those that have been in the industry for a long time, understand exactly how the mechanics of things work, whether that's financial or economic incentives to incentives around daily activities for payers and providers, to pure, how do we have maximization of time with the patient, which ultimately both of those entities are trying to do. Um, You need to have all of those pieces in the room. And so for all of that complexity, the theme continues to be, it does take time to get there. And that's okay because you want to come out of it with a really
2: high quality product or support mechanism for the customer that you're working with. That explanation just reminded me of... uh... Something that I've heard you in Apixio say publicly, which is um, AI is only intelligent if it's applied to meaningful problems in the right way. And I think that's a great encapsulation of that. Would you add anything else on why you feel so strongly about that idea or that philosophy and why that's helped you get so much mindshare in the market? Honestly, no. Uh, You know,
0: there's a reason we're fond of that, so I won't embellish it any further. What I will add just as a supplementary thought is it's why some of the things we've talked about today sit with us that way, and we've had to just um, stay the course and keep on the ground as to what we do day to day and ultimately over time, the results for your customers and in this case, ultimately, payers, providers and patients. That's really what wins the day and what makes you get partnered to all those organizations.
2: I'd be curious. I mean, this wouldn't be an AWS Health Innovation podcast you know, without asking about the customer or ultimately patients. Even though you're not selling directly to consumers, how is the feedback from patients influence y'all's products or offerings or outcomes or models or however you want to take that question?
0: Yeah. So for us, as I mentioned, we're very much at this intersection point of care provider. How I'll answer mm-hmm. that question is, you know, our customers will ask us, would you guys be interested in getting involved directly into patient outreach programs, mm-hmm. et cetera? And thus far, we've been hesitant just because I think that requires quite a clinical lens. And so for us to step that far, we need to be really confident in what we're doing. And there's a lot of talk, as we opened with during this conversation around AI and how it's being rolled out and discussed in sort of all forums, but in healthcare, particular, you have to be so careful as to how it's used. And so we've always been, let's get that what we're providing to our customers right now, particularly on the provider side, is very high fidelity. And if it's high fidelity, then you can start to get comfortable about thinking through where you might go and engage with patients. But separate from the engaging with patients, certainly understanding from the providers and the payers what makes them successful in caring for that member or patient over the long run, that's the lens that we apply as to what matters to the patient. Ultimately, and at least as we explain it to our employees to make it straightforward, and it's true, is if there's enough of a success criteria between those two parties, and we're helping that be achieved in a certain market, then we know that the patient will be well cared of because the system is in place for them to get the care that they need, increasingly proactive to your point, and they're not going to end up with a high copay or something like that. But we have to be cognizant that we're not, you know, directly impacting that copay in that moment, right? And that's okay. I think that's part of what we opened with where there's a desire to be there. It's absolutely important. But you also have to know the role that you play within that system, uh, not to use a football reference like, Joe, you know, not to be too Bill Belichick, but you sort of have to know your role too. And that's
2: okay. Uh, I'd love to ask just a little bit more about your product and your tech stack. Um, can you go into a little bit about what y'all built, how you built it, and how you think you're set up for success and scale in such a highly regulated industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question, especially because for Pixio, when we first started developing our solutions and due credit to my my predecessors who set that up and set up the infrastructure we of course always wanted to be cloud-based I think that's been important but the ability for us to add instances and dynamically scale up and down the pieces of the infrastructure that we need at a particular time it has been really important so that flexibility is just so key and I realize that sounds like a very dated way to describe cloud-based infrastructures because it's implied but the way in which I think it's set up for us and the way in which we can do it very easily is actually a differentiating factor and then the way in which we're able to use certain services such as managed kubernetes um, and some of the other security tools that are available really important for us especially because we are housing so much patient data on behalf of our care and provider customers and it needs to be in a secure environment so we've done the high trust certification and two, and all of these things that a lot of industry standard at this point it's table stakes but having the right infrastructure set up for that uh, gets you a massive running start on being able to achieve that and then being a good partner to your customer. It's a good partnership for us in terms of a vendor relationship, and then we can be a good relationship and partner for our customers. I would say dynamically being able to scale the infrastructure, and we're talking about going from, just to give you a little more data, from a couple thousand up to tens of thousands of servers that might be needed based on how much we need our pipeline to expand to accommodate documents that are coming across because these are hundreds of pages of PDF documents, et cetera, that ultimately need to be processed and have algorithms run on top of them.
2: So I guess I'd like to shift uh, gears just a little bit and talk at what I would call fun questions or thought leadership questions. Yeah. We talked a bunch about AI, and it seems to be on the lips of pretty much everyone and their dogs and cats too right now. It is the it phrase right now, specifically generative Mm -hmm. AI, but really AI, machine learning, all that good stuff. Lots of folks are trying to leverage AI in all fields, obviously, including healthcare. I'd be curious, what are your thoughts on this? And how do you think solutions will win in healthcare? Which solutions will win or which philosophies?
0: Yeah. I personally feel that while everything is moving fast and it's really important to stay in front of it, our data scientists, along with I'm sure every organization that, that is in healthcare technology, are quickly learning from the recent wave of all of the activity from OpenAI onward. And it's important to stay on the cusp of what are the latest techniques and mechanisms you can use to build really high-quality performing models. That being said, I think in healthcare... What is of paramount importance is to use a measured approach. As I was alluding to earlier, you really need to be thoughtful. There's the term hallucinations, and that's fine. That's more of a particular to, to chat GPT type of concept in the sense of that type of general large language model. But even if you're using other techniques or other ways in which you're making predictions or suggestion, you have to make sure that it's high fidelity, like I was saying, that it's, it makes sense for that workflow. And so being measured and being really thoughtful about the activity you're sporting, well, who is it impacting? If you're saying patients should take this medicine, that's pretty important. You should probably be pretty right on that. And you might want to work your way over to that. And that's clinical, right? But if you're in the administrative sense, then recognize, hey, is one out of a thousand times my recommended action is wrong. And the outcome is it impacts the payer and the provider by... Ten cents in activity or something like that—that's okay. That's probably okay. That hit rate is okay if it's happening five hundred out of the thousands. It's probably not okay. So I would say, measured and thoughtful approach is really important to being successful. And then secondarily, and then not secondary to that, but as a second point, it's very important to make sure that those, even in the first second example I gave, where maybe it's just a dollars and cents impact, that you have experts in the room that have been in healthcare for a long time that understand the market. Again, whether that's administrative, care delivery, clinical, whatever it may be, make sure that you have experts around the room because often, we've seen this in the last few years, there's been companies that had started, unfortunately done testing and things like that where results were erroneous, which is the worst version of this. But you can think of the same example in AI. If you don't use enough data or the right data for that market or that particular geography, you may make a suggestion that actually is completely wrong as far as what activity should be taken on. So, um, really, really important, I think, to have the right type of expertise around and folks that understand healthcare. Which it seems like we're getting back to that point where that is all of a sudden now more important and the, and the main thing. And I think that's great. It should be that way because everyone's learning along the way. Those that have been in the healthcare space for thirty, forty, fifty years, sometimes there's a reason, right? They know and they've learned that much over that period of time. You you cannot learn. Healthcare in two years or three years, impossible. And so I think it's really important to keep that in mind because that's what influences how you train that algorithm.
2: So what I'm hearing is it's important to have the healthcare expertise both on the tech side and product side, but also in the sales cycle side, understanding the true needs and pain points of the payers, providers, or patients and understanding how to generate that near or medium term ROI to actually derive value for the system. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, well put. So I guess we're probably getting close to our time here, but I do want to ask what's next for Pixio, right? I know you won't give us too big of a look into the future. You got to keep some surprises, but what are you excited about? What are you building? What are you, you know, going to launch soon? Yeah, we're very excited. This has been an interesting time period for us the last
0: couple of weeks in particular, leading up to this conversation with you. And uh, we recently announced that we're merging with another organization Uh and this gives us an opportunity, put simply, and this is what we will continue to be excited about, is to add more data to understanding what's happening with our customers, payers and providers, and ultimately that's patient data that gives us an opportunity to be a better partner, as we've been talking about thematically today. So for us, continued growth and access to more data to develop our AI, to harness it in the right way for the best use cases, that's really where we're most excited. And Throughout the course of that, also adding on, you know, uh, businesses and whether that's organically or inorganically, that will allow us to add talent that meets those requirements that we mentioned around both experience within healthcare, as well as innovative thinking. So that's what we're excited about as we step
2: into the next chapter here. Well, Suchin, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really personally enjoyed it. Um, you have any last thoughts or parting words for our listeners when they think about Apixio or the future of healthcare or artificial intelligence?
0: I would say stick with it, have the grit that's necessary, and I think we'll all get there collectively to a good endpoint. So appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot, Eric.
1: Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.